0: She is becoming podcast. We are a multi-generational podcast that studies the word of God together. You can find us on all the platforms as well as Grace Church website. Please hit the subscribe button so you can be alerted to new episodes. Today we're going to be presenting a special Christmas episode for you. Our hope is that this will enrich your Christmas experience. And Delaney, you're joining us by phone today. You are not feeling well. A little COVID has struck your home. And- I have it.
1: I got it.
0: But I'm okay. Good, good. You you are okay, and you're you're doing well with it. But you you couldn't be here with me today. But we are together, praising God for technology.
1: Amen. I'm glad to be doing something with my time, actually. So this is
0: great. Yeah, I understand you're kind of confined to one room in your house. (laughs) I am in one
1: room. I'm the only one who has COVID. So we're all quarantined. But I have to be alone in my bedroom. So please just pray for my mental health. (laughs) Yes, no
0: kidding. No kidding. All right, Delaney, why don't you just introduce how we're going to approach our Christmas topic today?
1: Yeah, so we are going to do a special episode today, and we really hope that this episode just makes you feel refreshed, renewed, excited to celebrate Christmas, and just more importantly, that it really just reinvigorates your love and gratitude for Jesus, our Savior. So traditions can be something that we do habitually, but we do it because we always have, but the meaning often just gets lost, and we often have a lot of traditions at Christmas, and one of these that we do is Christmas carols. We sing them. um, Sometimes we know them by heart or at least like the chorus or the first verse or at least part of it. But we seldom stop to think about what the words really mean. And so today with Christmas, just a few days away, we thought that it would be just really enriching and also fun to look at a few Christmas carols and talk about what they teach us. Uh, many Christmas carols reflect a really powerful biblical truth, which is one of the reasons that we love them so much is they have really great deep theology in them. And I think it will also help us just be more mindful when we sing them and to understand really like the meaning and the scripture behind them. Um, I know we can all think of all of like the silly Christmas songs about like Santa, reindeer, snow. I mean, I think I've heard all of the crazy the ones. Grinch? But-
0: how about the Grinch or how about Alvin's Christmas? Oh, I have to turn the radio down on those. On. <laughs> <Without>. <laughs> hey,
1: my son really loves those little chipmunks. I know, so I know, <laughs> I
0: know. It's yeah.
1: but singing is a really is a way that we worship God, and so singing about Christ and the miracle of His birth, and really meaning the words that we say, is really important. And sometimes with Christmas carols, it's hard to understand what they're talking about because they're, they're written like so long ago and in like old English. So that's what we're here to do. We're going to help you out. So starting off here with the Christmas carol, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. It's a very old English carol. It was published actually, I think, in 1827. And we hear this carol um, in the Christmas play, A Christmas Carol. Um, Ebenezer Scrooge hears this sung, and he he threatens the singers to stop. However, you cannot muzzle the joy of Christ's birth, as we know. And we are also, and we are just going to look into the first verse in the refrain of this uh, Christmas carol. It says, God yeah, God rest you merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. For Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, oh, tidings of comfort and joy. If I didn't have COVID, I would sing it to you, okay? But
0: (laughs) my voice is like God, okay? I would not be singing it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to use COVID as my excuse. Yeah, there you go. Um, So let's see what these familiar words are really teaching us. God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. There's a really foundational, really important biblical truth in the word rest, Why aren't we celebrating rest? There is like such a deep meaning to taking a break. We know that God rested in day seven um, after he created the whole world. And Sabbath rest is actually something that's commanded in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the concept of rest is resting in what God has done for us and not depending on um, what we do to get right with God. It's something we can rest because God has already made the way for us to be with him and our salvation is kept by him. So we're enabled to rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, um, it's actually Christ that says, come to me, all ye, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So being able to rest is a way that we show God that we really trust him. Um, I think back to the sermon that uh, my dad, Pastor Troy, did a few weeks ago, Bev. I know you're going to remember this, but he was talking about other world religions. Um, and he says that with other world religions, you can't rest like you can with Christianity because every other religion is dependent on something you're doing instead of something that God has done. Right. So, right.
0: It's a do, 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 do instead do of done. Yeah. done. And so, huh? and so you can't rest
1: in that. You no. can't like, you can't. You always have to be on. Always have to be on. Um, And so what makes us weary and burdened? I think that sin, either directly or indirectly, makes us weary and burdened because we live in a fallen world and we know that sin oppresses all of us every day. Um, And so many people are also anxious today. So as we come to Jesus, he can give us rest since he alone has the solution to our sin problem. We can also rest on him to bring good from what makes our heart anxious, Hebrews Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 also speaks of rest, and it says that we can have when we put our faith in Christ. If you focus in on verse 10, it says, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. So we also know that rest is important because literally God did it, and so it's also something that we can emulate, which honestly makes me feel like a little bit of comfort that I can rest.
0: Yeah, that idea of resting. You know, we can get caught up in the works mentality uh, in our faith really easily, so this is a great reminder at uh, at Christmas. We can rest in Christ.
1: Yeah, I think it also kind of protects us from that a little bit, too, is like, you don't always have to be on and that God wants us to rest. And we also know that God saved us when we had gone astray. It says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly so we can be reconciled with God. And so we can rest because Christ alone could do this work. We can rest from the idea of earning our own salvation. We can rest, rest from the panic of trying to be good all the time because Christ Has already accomplished our salvation through his goodness and not ours. Thank you, Jesus. That is key,
0: isn't it? We gotta constantly remind us uh, remind ourselves of that, that it's it's his righteousness, it's his goodness, not ours. However, you know, when we have received Christ, we have a heart's desire to do what pleases him and glorifies him so it, we get it backwards though we we sometimes want to put the good works in front of faith and it's really faith and then good works accompany true faith
1: yeah and i think we forget too that god is the one that changes our desires to want those things Truly. so really it's about us like at no point is it about us but then it talks about in the christmas girl let nothing you dismay well we don't have to dismay because it is done it is finished There's this phrase um, that I know we've all heard. It says, to save us all from Satan's power. It's true that Satan is real. We know that. And he is a powerful enemy of God and his people. But there's this quote that I love from this author and pastor about Satan. It says that Jesus came to destroy the devil's work, to bind the strong man, to set humanity free. He did the first through his defeat of the devil in the desert, then through his teaching and exorcisms, and finally through his death, resurrection, and exaltation, in which he disarmed powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I love that, that, like, Satan has been defeated. He has.
0: It's clear, and, and those are from 1 John 3 and also Colossians 2. That, that's right out of Scripture what was quoted there. Thank you, Delaney, for that quote.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so, we are indeed under Satan's power if we aren't under the blood of Christ. And I think that that's sometimes a hard distinction for us to realize, but we actually are enemies of God if we are not um, following the Lord, if we're not a believer. So, even Christians, though, can be tempted by Satan, as we know, and but we do have the power of God in us who has defeated Satan, and so we rely on Christ and not our own power to resist this temptation. And when Christ was tempted, he even used scripture to fight Satan's temptations. And that is like what is our our weapon. That's our only offensive weapon is that word of God. And so um, the refrain of the Christmas carol celebrates all of those truths that we found in this very short verse. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy is also repeated three times. And this is great news that we can have rest because um, the work has already been finished through Christ and his righteousness and we can rejoice in having the power of God in our lives and through God's word to fight the good fight against Satan and his evil temptations so I think an application that we see from this Christmas carol would really just be like are you resting in Christ's finished work and in his righteousness are you calling upon the power of God in your temptations he has defeated the enemy yet we cannot defeat him in our own strength. So we need to celebrate these good tidings, this good news, and we need to be comforted and be filled with joy for all that Christ has done and that Christ was born on Christmas and all the things that he has done for us.
0: Love that, Delaney. You know, and this hymn talks about all ye gentlemen. And somebody I remember once asked me, uh, does that bug you that it's just for the gentlemen? But I really think they're using it in the generic sense of, the word, like sometimes you'll read about man or mankind, gentlemen. I feel like it's it's not qualifying just men. It's just is in a general sense people. So anyway, I know that that kind of gets your attention, but it's that old English too, isn't it? It's different. It's just yeah, different. you have to give them to... a break. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, Delaney, uh, the next hymn uh, and Carol Christmas Carol, I want to talk about is "Hark the Herald Angels Sing." If I'm allowed to choose a Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing is my go-to. And I'll tell you why. That would be it. That would be it, because of all the biblical theology in it. We could speak for several hours just on that, but instead, I'm just going to share a few highlights from this really popular carol um, that we we hear every Christmas. Let's start with verse 1, highlight. It says, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I believe this refers then to that angelic choir that announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds in the field. Hark the herald angels sing. Can you just picture it in your head, you know, of that scene, dark, and all of a sudden these angels light up the sky singing and telling these lowly shepherds about the birth of Christ. This fact that this these words were said to shepherds really gives me pause. God sending a full angelic choir to announce the birth of his son, to shepherds, and shepherds in this society of this day were insignificant. They were kept yeah. away from the city. They didn't want their kind or their filth in the city. So, I mean, just the fact that God went to them and allowed them to be the ones to show up at Jesus's birth. How about that? Huh? Isn't that just? Well, it shows a lot about who God is. Yeah, it shows so much about him. It does. It really does. And I, you know, I feel like those, uh, one of those shepherds, um, just that God found me in the darkness and showed me the light of Christ. Well, then the next word is glory to the newborn King, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Right there, just the hymn is worth singing. Right there. This is the theme of the whole Bible. Reconciliation for God and mankind after the fall of sin and rebellion against God. It's redemption. The plan has always been redemption and rec- reconciliation. And this is what Christ did. Um, only through Christ and his atoning work on the cross for our sins can we be reconciled to God by faith in Christ. Going on, it says, With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. You know, it was prophesied that the long-awaited Messiah would reconcile us to God, and he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem, I've been to the Holy Land, and Bethlehem's just a small little town not far from Jerusalem. You know, maybe like a half a day's walk there. Uh, You find prophecy in the Bible, especially the book of Micah, chapter 5. Listen to what it says about the prophecy of this Messiah that was long awaited, um, some details about his birth. But you, O Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will sit, who will still, I can't read my own writing here, be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient of times. Wait a minute. Uh, This Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be great. He's going to be a ruler over Israel. But the last part of that, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Wow, that's amazing, because Christ has always existed. Sometimes we forget that. We think he was born on Christmas Day. Well, he he took on flesh on Christmas Day, but he has always been there, always has been with the Father at creation. All things were made through him. I mean, so Christ has always been from old, from ancient of times. I love that part of that prophecy. You know, some people have counted some 300 prophecies that Christ fulfilled in his coming. It's 300. It's unbelievable. All that you have to do is Google this, and like prophecies of Christ, and you'll come up with a list of 300, then there's a smaller list of 64, and then 24. Um, You should get that out and... Write them down or put them in your Bible and you know share those with your kids. It is so faith-building to realize how many prophecies Christ's coming fulfilled. In fact, uh, one woman I know, um, a dear woman, she came to a Bible class that I was uh, in, and she didn't have a faith. She was a part of another faith and didn't know Christ. But when she started hearing about all the prophecies, she changed religions and Confess Christ as her Lord and Savior. So it's a powerful uh, uh, tool, and I think it's a great teaching item for our family as well. And then let's go into verse 2 Offspring of the Virgin's Womb. Now, this is important. Here's some important theology again. Um, It's important because Jesus is sinless, and so not having a human father. And having Mary be a virgin, this was, you know, conceived in uh, a way that did not transfer that original sin to Jesus, like it's transferred to us from our parents. So this is a very important um, theological point. Going on, it says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail his incarnate deity. Jesus is God in flesh. He is the one with God. He's one with God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, Christ said it himself. Philip asks Christ to show them the Father, and that will be enough for them. Jesus said back to him, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you and among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? And then even more clear to this fact of, uh, you know, veiled in flesh, the Godhead seed, Jesus says in John 10, I and the Father are one. Our next phrase, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. God with us, that's what Emmanuel means. And Philippians chapter 2 goes into great detail of how Christ left his glory and came down to earth so humbly to die on behalf. So we can be free from the judgment of our sin and be forgiven. And then it says, mild he laid his glory by. That's the humility. Christ was willing to, and the Father was willing as well, to have Christ put on that veil of flesh to lay his glory by and to come and to be that sacrificial lamb for all of us. Mild in humility he lays his glory by. Then the real crescendo to so, the week of the last three short lines is born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give a second birth. Delaney, do you see why I just love this? Ah, these words yeah. are so powerful. This is like the whole gospel in this one little Christmas carol. It's true. It's true. The theology here is just dripping everywhere. Jesus through his resurrection from the dead, promises eternal life for those who know him as Savior. Um, because our sin has been taken away through Christ, we can dwell forever with Christ. Born, Jesus was born that man no more may die. He gives us eternal life. Our physical body dies, but spiritually we're made alive. Born to raise the sons of earth, us. Born, he was born to give a second birth, that second birth of confessing Christ. See, the Lord is holy, and only holy people can have fellowship with him in his forever kingdom. We give Christ all our sin through repentance. Then we are given Christ's holiness through faith in him. That's amazing. In fact, one author called that the amazing exchange. It's quite the exchange. Our sin, his righteousness. The second birth is right out of the Bible, and in particular, John 3. Delaney, remember the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night? And what astounding statement does he tell Jesus? You must be born again. Martin Luther was quoted as writing, Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. So when we're born twice, when we're born of not only the flesh, but we're born of the Spirit of of God through faith in Christ— we only die once. Our physical body only dies, but our spiritually, we are alive. I love that. So is Jesus described here the Jesus that you know, listeners? Have you received the second birth through faith in Christ? Well, briefly now, the final Christmas carol is Go Tell It on the Mountain. I always like to uh, think about this That's at Christmas my too. Is it really good? good. Yeah, because it- it's so upbeat. It is very upbeat, and it really is the response to Christmas, right?
1: We yeah, I be, love. Yeah,
0: yeah. Go tell it on a mountain. In other words, go tell it to everybody. The melody now of this old song um, was that it was an old spiritual. And it didn't have words to it for a long time. It just was kind of a melody. Uh, But then there was a man by the name of John Work, and he was determined to save the heritage of these spirituals. And so he wrote stanzas to the melody. And the refrain goes something like this. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. So we find the same ideas in Isaiah 40. You who bring good tidings to Zion... Go up on a mountain high, you bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice, shout it, lift it up, do not be afraid, say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. And also in Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And then it's repeated in the New Testament in Romans 10, where we are encouraged Christians to go and preach the gospel. And also the whole point is Matthew 28, the Great Commission, when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always. So Christmas is a powerful time to share the truths about who Christmas is all about. You know, Delaney, it's a sad commentary, but it's true that our society is becoming intolerant of even the word Christmas. You know why? Because Christ is in it. Now it's winter holiday, happy holiday, Um, winter break. It's been secularized and sanitized of Christ I recently heard of a doctor who was rebuked, called into his boss's offices for saying Merry Christmas to his patients. Can you imagine such, uh, uh, you know, forbidden speech? I thought we had free speech. Um, But I think the very least thing we can do is to keep saying Christmas to people. So it's not just Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas. Whenever somebody says Happy Holidays, I try to say back all the time, Merry Christmas. I (laughs) I can see you doing that. (laughs) I I want Christ to stay in our Christmas. You know, they're happy to take our Christmas dollars, but they're not happy with our Christ. And that offends me, actually. You know, Delaney, I know you have uh, uh, some cute things you could maybe share, too. Uh, There are so many things we can do in order to go tell it on the mountain. Go tell the good news about Christ at this time of year. Could you just give us a couple of suggestions?
2: Yeah. I think Christmas is such an easy time to bring up talking about Christ because there's so many like ways to bridge the conversation. Um, I think one of the biggest ones is inviting people to Christmas Eve service, just asking them like, what are you doing? Like around the, you can even say, what are you doing around Christmas or what do you, how are you guys celebrating this year? And then inviting them, I think is like one of the easiest ways. Cause Frankly, everyone's going to church on Christmas Eve, pretty much. Yeah. So just invite them um, and then just asking them, like, what are traditions that they do? And I think it's such an easy segue to bring up like what you and your family do or what you do by yourself um, to just really keep Christmas being about Christ.
0: What are you doing with Jack's? Well, right now I'm doing nothing with Jax. Your your four-year-old. Yeah, oh, that was probably not good timing on that question. (laughs) Oh, I'm not really doing a lot with
2: Jacks right now, but we have been actually reading, um, starting, I don't remember where we started, but we've been reading the Christmas story. And I think we're just going to keep continuing all the way through Christ's death and resurrection. Um, But just really sharing with him that like, this is what it's about. And I actually started doing this way before... um, I think we started doing it at the beginning of December, and so now we're almost at the point where we're at Christ's crucifixion. Obviously, this has been put on hold a little bit with me, but he's still (laughs) doing it. He's still doing it with his dad, so that's great. But that's been, like, the main way. It's just, like making sure he understands what it's really about.
0: Yeah, and reading Scripture to them. I I remember going over Luke 2. We read it almost daily. And then I always love to have that read at our Christmas table, Um, just because the Scripture, and Luke 2 is a beautiful way to highlight that, Couple other things that I've done. um, I've done what's called Christmas coffees, and of course, Joyce Joyce Bademan in our church, a member here and a missionary. This is her ministry where she has women share the gospel with other women or men and women in a group. They invite their neighbors in, um, then they have a speaker come in. And so I've done several of those, and it's such a blessing. I always felt like Jesus, this is something I can give you at Christmas, just to let more people know of your greatness and of the gospel. Also, Christmas cards, you know, they can say a little bit of a message too, can't they? I know uh, my daughter this year put a beautiful verse on hers. That's that's just something small, but, you know, those verses don't return void. At your dinner table, you can read scripture, prayer, have some kind of meaningful discussion questions like... Uh, you know uh, about Christ or Christmas or the celebration, whatever. But have more meaningful discussion. Have scriptures by everybody's place to read uh, related to the Christmas story. That's sometimes really um, very general and easy to do. Uh, the way we greet people, like I said, Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays. Er, I'm gr- I'm grinding my teeth. Um, and then also the meaning of all the symbols at Christmas. Lights, Jesus is light of the world, a candy cane as a shepherd's crook, but also upside down it's the letter J for Jesus. The white represents his purity, the red are his blood that he shed on the cross. So all these symbols have their meaning in Christ's gifts. Because Christ was given three gifts. We give gifts to one another. And I remember when our kids were growing up, I we would say three gifts. Jesus received three, you're getting three. So that was, you know who that was the hardest on? Not the kids, mom, (laughs) buying Mm -hmm. gifts. It's so tempting to buy more than what you should. And then, you know, all the stars that you see that represent Christmas, um, the star that shone on his birth and guided the wise men to Jesus, the nativity set, I still take out our nativity set, even though it's just Paul and me, I just... It's just a small way that I want to keep that focus of what that first Christmas was all about. I also have a little statue that I bring out every year, even for Paul and I now. It's a Santa kneeling in front of the creche where Jesus lays. And I thought, that's it. All the celebrations, all the fun, but it kneels at the foot of Christ. Yeah, I I love love that. I love that picture, too. Even, you know, a Christmas tree is a witness that glows in your window and has sacred symbols on it. I I love to get cross um, ornaments and put on my tree just to keep uh, keep it balanced between Santa and all the other symbols of Christmas. And, you know, in a neighborhood, they'll see that you do have a tree up. And, you know, it used to be that was a Christian symbol. Uh, Not so much anymore, but it is still somewhat of a witness. And then parents... This is such an opportunity to teach your children about those prophecies, about what they mean. Memorizing Luke two, make it about giving instead of getting. I, I completely changed my language when the kids were young. I said, "What are you giving this year?" instead of "What are you getting?" and that made a difference. They they were more conscious of giving. You can. I love your idea to. Uh, invite them to services. You can serve together as a family. We would do on occasions uh, special projects over Christmas as a way to give back to the Lord. You can do Advent, do devotionals, candles, um, listen and sing more religious Christmas carols, and then teach the meaning out of them. Uh, Something I will tell you, Delaney, as we sign off here today, my most favorite Christmas music, really, but it's really not just Christmas, is Handel's Messiah. It was written in 1741 in London. It's a double album. It's the most glorious music. I'm sure I'm going to hear this in heaven. The music takes you on a journey of the life of Christ, starting with prophecy and ending with Christ's glorification. It's filled with Scripture. Handel, new Scripture. Filled with Scripture, it's performed with a full orchestra, hundreds of choir members, opera voices of the best, It's said that Handel wrote this in tears. It just flowed out of him. He composed all of it in 21 days with very few corrections. It's composed of roughly a quarter of a million notes, which calculates the writing of about 15 notes a minute. Think how fast his hand is going, doing all that by hand. I feel this is divinely inspired music. It's said that King George stood during the Hallelujah Chorus, and that's still a tradition today when that is played. We took our children to a live performance when they were a little bit older and young teens, and then as a gift, I gave them their own copy of the music. It was a heritage I wanted them to have and to enjoy all their life
2: that's so beautiful i agree with you i think that i was also divinely inspired well thank you for sharing that and music is such a great part of the christmas celebration so let's pay attention to the words and the meaning in our favorite christmas carols and let's worship with them once again we love you sisters thank you for joining us join us in two mondays on she is